America feels kind of bleak right now. The schools are leading that charge. We lose faith in our education system. We lose faith in our future for our kids. And then what happens to the country? There is a real problem that, thank God, the pandemic exposed. And that problem is our schools and our teachers' unions. More specifically, the Department of Education. Because right now, what's happening in our schools is madness. Most Americans don't even think of this part of America, at least the people on the coast, but this is the heartland. This is what made us America. And then there came a time when the industrial age began and we started building factories and we needed workers for those factories. And along came a man named Horace Mann. Horace is the guy who started the public school system as we know it. He, he thought we needed to teach the same things everywhere, no matter if you lived in a city or you lived in a place like this. There is nothing, literally, for miles around. And these are the buildings that our grandparents and great-grandparents told us stories of, of walking five miles to school in the snow, uphill both ways. Strangely, this is uphill both ways. Horace decided that we could change America. In fact, I have a quote from him. I want to read this quote exactly. He said, We are engaged in the sacred cause of education, and we are entitled to look upon all parents as have giving hostages to our cause. Beginning of the progressive movement, the idea, he was a strong supporter, the parents should have nothing to say about what their kids are taught because they really kind of belong to America. They belong to the state, they belong to the future. Well, we've been going down this path for quite some time. In fact, it, in the 1970s, there was very little that the uh, federal government had to do with your school in your local area. The teachers union, along with Horace Long now passed, uh, they wanted to make sure that the federal government controlled everything. 1970s was a big movement for the Education Association, the biggest teachers union in the country. They finally got a president who would support this. Exchange for their votes, the teachers union got the Department of Education in 1979. And that's when things really began to fall apart. One of the things you'll see when we go inside is how simple things were. Now they're palaces. Now they have, of course, more than one flagpole, but this one only had that one. Believe it or not, this place was at one point state of the art for schools in a small little town like this. By 1970, things began to change. 1970, the rate of growth for employees of the local public school started to grow nine times faster than the growth of students. 
If you look at this room, there's only two rooms and a little folding wall that separate them. I think that was this other schoolroom and the gym, believe it or not. But it was simple. Kids came in, all different grades, and they learned together. But then the education started to become much more scientific and much more reliant on what man would have liked, uh, a centralized system. All the power started coming from the federal government. You started to see the rot of our system as it began to fall apart. We're looking at stats now that are remarkable, absolutely remarkable, and we, I think we actually lucked out and stumbled on to the facts of how bad our schools were because of COVID. So many parents were home. We're looking now at 28% of black students, 33% of Hispanic students that were attending school full-time no longer attending school. Estimates suggest 3 million students are now unaccounted for by their schools during 2020. Parents across the nations are clashing with the school boards. We see them because we, uh, parents of my age, still think that we're in charge, but the unions and the government think that they are in charge. But if they've been running things, maybe we should take the reins back. Even before the pandemic, American 13-year-olds had the first recorded decline in math and reading scores in a 50-year period. That's the only period that we had been recording them. No student group of any age or any ethnic background saw that performance improve since 2012. Most saw declines. Federal spending per student is through the roof, and our government still hasn't learned its lesson about money, that money doesn't make things better. The elementary and secondary school emergency relief aid, Congress passed that, that was $200 billion. Are our schools getting better or are they getting worse? And yet, through all the spending, all the things that we have done, according to the International School Assessment, U.S. students didn't rank in the top 10 global for any subject tested. Our schools are decaying and rotting from the inside, and we all know it. And it's only a matter of time before these beautiful palaces that we, would, we have built all begin to fall apart. And the American dream is lost and all of these beautiful palaces become nothing more than a shed for the animals to live in. to come out to my kids and just read him a book about this teddy bear that uh, kind of comes out as a trans girl. I truly felt like, like even kids could understand it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the Afro-American people. I totally get that. I totally get that 100%. The thing is, I don't care. Seek peace, honor our ancestors. First of all, if you think pronouns don't have a place in the classroom, you clearly don't understand grammar. Not asking 
pronouns creates the assumption that if you don't use your assigned he, him, his, or she, her, hers, then you're not normal. Development and prosperity of people of African descent. So I'm a preschool teacher, and my day agenda is having my students wear rainbow lays on my birthday as we go to the Seattle Summit. What are my pronouns? They. So they all know my pronouns. It's they, them. It's quite simple. I'm going to show you some books in my third grade classroom with LGBTQ representation because representation matters. Today, we are reading another book with a very powerful message. It is called, It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. You may be seated. This is fantastic. I mean, who could ask for more from their public education? Joining me is Corey DeAngelis. He is the senior fellow at the American Federation for Children. He is also the executive director at uh, Educational Freedom Institute and was named on the Forbes 30 under 30 list for his work on education uh, policy. You've probably seen his work in the Wall Street Journal, the National Review, and many others. Corey, welcome to the program. Um, have have I gone insane or uh has the teacher have the teachers gone insane and how long has it been on this road yeah i mean i don't think you're insane here there's a lot of political politically divisive topics making its way into the classroom and look the silver lining over the past two years with covid closures and remote learning which we should really call remotely learning because there wasn't a lot of learning going on was that families got to see what the heck was going on in the classroom and it's really propelled propelled the mo- the movement for educational freedom and having the money follow the child to a public another public school or a private school what most people call school choice support for the concepts now at an all-time high and is partially because of the ideological indoctrination in the classroom all right, so let's let's go back and f- first let's look at um, the 1970s when the teachers union really started to put a chokehold on things, and then 1979, uh, you had the Department of Education. Have things gotten better or worse? And how much money are we spending uh, to get the results? I mean, we're spending so much money. We've thrown more and more money at the problem without any improvements in outcomes. You can look at the Cato Institute chart, for example, from the late, great Andrew Coulson, where we've thrown more and more money at the system, but the nation's report card results haven't gotten any better. They've been essentially flat over the past several decades. And if you look at data from the National Center for Education Statistics, for example, since 1970, per pupil education expenditures in the United States government run schools have actually increased by 152 percent in real terms. But teacher salaries have only increased by about 8 percent over the same period. So teachers unions haven't even pushed for policies that benefit individual teachers. People like Randy Weingarten, who make over $560,000 a year, according to the latest data, they push for putting more people into the buildings and more administrative bloat and staffing surges, which is great for union bosses because that means more dues-paying members and a larger voting block so Mm. they can push for their political nonsense into the classroom. And we've seen that it hasn't really done anything to improve real educational outcomes. So I want to just go to a tweet that you had tweeted a a while back. Inflation-adjusted education per student in the U.S., a 298% real increase, inflation-adjusted, since 1960. 
It's almost unbelievable. Yeah, since 1960, 298% increase in real terms. Since 1970, it's gone up by about 152% in real terms. So when you hear people say we've been defunding education for years, it's a total myth. Even after you adjust for inflation, we throw gargantuan amounts of resources into the schools and to the districts, but it doesn't make its way into the classroom. So we have been defunding education in a way in that we haven't been putting that money towards education. It's been going towards indoctrination. And the only way to fix that is to provide real bottom-up accountability, to have that same money follow the child to wherever they get an education. That would provide competitive pressures so, for the government schools to do a better job. I'm looking at some stats you sent me. The number of students and teachers in public schools have increased by 8% since 2000. The same period, number of principals and assistant principals have increased by 37%. And the number of administrative staff has increased by 88%. Yeah. So, I mean, this is the same trend over several years that we, we see more people into the system, even though the, cus the number of customers into the education system hasn't increased by nearly as much. And there's been another report by Ben Scafidi, he is a professor at Kennesaw State University, and he looked at the period between 1992 and 2014, proving that this isn't just like a, a one-time blip if you if you pick certain years and certain time periods. It's happened uh, over, over decades now, and he's found that per pupil inflation adjusted uh, education expenditures per student during that period increased by 27%, while teacher salaries actually dropped in real terms by 2%. And he found that between 1950 and today, uh, the number of non-teaching support staff and administrators increased by about seven times the rate as the number of students. So it's just a jobs program for no. adults as opposed to an education initiative <laughs> for kids. Is this because of the Department of Education and all of the rules and regulations and all the everything that they've done? Or is this just job inflation? Well, it's it's a couple of things. It's one, it's centralization created by the Department of Education at the federal level, which shouldn't exist. It should have never been born in 1979. The word education isn't found in the U.S. Constitution. Uh, nope. so, that, so that's part of it. But then also... Even if you abolish the Department of Education, we have to take it a step further to centralize all the way to the local, most local level of control, which is the individual family unit, and to let them vote with their feet to education providers that best meet mm -hmm. their children's needs. Um, it's interesting that you would say it's not found in the Constitution. In fact, anything that's not found in the Constitution falls under the Tenth Amendment which means if this not specifically outlined in the Constitution, the federal government has no right to any of it. So you don't find education, school, anything in the Constitution, which means the 10th Amendment in, in, insists that it is a state, not a federal government. But it doesn't seem like anybody cares about the Constitution anymore. No, and I mean, we just had a Supreme Court case yesterday, which thankfully ruled in favor of religious liberties and parental rights in education, saying that if you're going to have a school choice program, you can't discriminate against religious families or religious institutions. Uh, that should have been a unanimous decision, though. But it, it was it went six, nine with the liberal judges uh, uh, not siding with the Constitution or precedent on the issue. Uh, but it, right. you know, at least we have some people who who understand the words in in that in the in that document. <laughs>
Um, so, Corey, help me out, because I think most Americans feel like we've known that school score, scores were down and that children's education was not the greatest. And we knew there was, you know, liberals, et cetera, et cetera. But we've gone from liberals to absolute whack jobs. We, it feels to me like we are looking at people who think our kids belong to them that they are right no matter what you think, and they will indoctrinate them into some Marxist, I don't know, sex cult almost. How did this start, and and who's planning all of this? Yeah, I'm not sure who's planning. I'm sure there's some people who would like to to change uh, American society, but I think it's more so because it's not all that easy to teach kids math and reading. It's easier to teach them politically divisive concepts into the classroom. You can't really uh, be held accountable for those types of outcomes because it is more of a, a touchy-feely kind of um, thing that the the uh, people in the classroom are probably just having fun with um, in, instead of focusing on the basics, which most families would probably prefer. And I think, again, with the funding following the student, the public schools would have a stronger incentive to focus on the basics because they, it would be um, a problem for customer base to focus on politically divisive topics for whatever reason, whether it's yep. far too, if it's too far right or left, it would be in their incentive to focus on um, stuff that doesn't piss off half their customer base. Unless there's ESG involved, and then they, those companies don't seem to care. Corey, thank you so much. Let me know anything I can do to help you get the word out. I appreciate all your hard work. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity, Glenn. Back in a minute. There are ways in which you can do charter schools and create these kind of options, but what Betsy wants to do, what Mr. Voss wants to do, and it's totally true, she has no connection to public schools. What she wants to do is actually just drain the public system of the dollars it desperately needs when half our kids are poor. Amen. Uh, joining me now is the woman who was just accused of wanting to drain all of the dollars from the Department of Education. The former Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, for the past 30 years, she's been one of the leading voices in America for education freedom. She's also the author of a brand new book called Hostages No More, The Fight for Education Freedom and the Future of the American Child. Betsy, welcome to the program. How are you? Thanks, Glenn. Great to be with you. Good. So um, this is the same routine we hear over and over again, that oh, you just want to starve children, you just want to make sure that education is completely destroyed. I am all for the shutting down of the Department of Education because I think it is wildly corrupt and it doesn't matter what you as the Secretary of Education says, they'll just continue with their agenda. Am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right. And in fact, you know, conservatives have talked about shutting down the department for many years, but uh, I actually had a plan to do it and submitted a budget that would have block granted all the funds from the department out to the states for them to make decisions. Decision making is best made at the local level. Decision making needs to be at the most local level, and that is with the family. Uh, this c contention that we're talking about draining money from the system, it's not about the system. 
system. It's about individual kids. And we need to be supporting right. parents making decisions and choices for the right fit for their own children. So, Betsy, you just said, and I find this kind of surprising, you had a whole plan laid out, the block grants going to the states, so you weren't going to shut anybody off, no starving or uneducated kids. I assume you turned that into President Trump. Why didn't you or he enact it? What happened? Well, uh, it was debated a little bit, not very seriously, uh, within the halls of Congress, and um, and and you know, bottom line was there was no action taken. But the point is, there is a way to shut down the department and to ensure that the laws that the department currently is responsible for overseeing, protecting student civil rights, and um, ensuring that students with disabilities get the supports they need. Need there are ways to accomplish that without having a Department of Education. So much of what goes on in those buildings is simply reorganizing and reshuffling money appropriated by Congress and then putting strings on it when sending it to states and districts. And it's where all of the overreach of the federal government enters into education. If we were to wind that down, do away with it, and allow states to re resume their role as the uh, in, in the federal system, um, we would still continue to support uh, education. And the education funds that Congress still wanted to appropriate bet would go best if they went directly to the families that should be able to make the decisions for their own yeah. children. So, you know, when you look at what happened, we went from, you know, the 1776 project, I think what it was called, where, you know, President Trump said, hey, let's restore our history back to the way it was, um, to now, not only that's the first thing Biden cuts, but then we have all of this crazy stuff that clearly was long term planning. Were they right. just doing this no matter what the Secretary of Education was saying? They were just preparing for when you left? Well, certainly, uh, you know, the 1776 project is is a laudable one and needs to be done in the private sector. But what the Biden administration did was come in and immediately incentivize uh, competitive grant programs for schools that were implementing the 1619 project. Then they come out with proposed rules that would effectively put an end to charter school expansion uh, through the federal charter school program. I mean, every step of the way, we can come and do very good things which we did, but then another administration comes in and the left continues to have its march toward further Correct. and further intrusion into education at the most local levels. Um, you wrote, regarding your Senate confirmation process, you wrote, the notion that the Senate is responsible for confirming the Secretary of Education is only true on paper. In reality, as we would see later during the COVID crisis, it's the teachers union that control the process, at least for the Democrats. Explain. Absolutely. No, absolutely. The the school, I, I refer to them more broadly as the school unions because I don't really think they represent teachers. They represent their interests, which include many other kinds of employees than teachers. And they also uh, speak for all of their allied organizations. Uh, I got to meet a whole alphabet soup full of them while I was in Washington. And all of them come armed with lobbyists and they're all geared toward adult issues and adult agenda. Uh, 
agendas that are not, they don't have kids in mind. They don't have kids at the center of it. What's right for individual students? It's clear and it's been evident, especially evident the last two years where families have had a front row seat to the failings of this system. You know, we see what happened during COVID. You say the 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 kids were used as pawns to get these adult things that they wanted, um, and and they've been exposed. And there is an outcry from the average person, but yeah. uh, somehow or another, these teachers unions and the Department of Education, even though they're calling parents involved terrorists. They seem to have a stranglehold on this. Well, Is it they that certainly, tight? They, they certainly have had a stranglehold on the uh, elected officials in the Democrat Party, and that has become increasingly so over the last couple of decades. Uh, the notion that um, they have any objectivity is is laid bare by the fact that 99.7% of their contributions, their reported political contributions, have gone to Democrats in the last cycle, and that's only what has been reported. The reality is they have a, a, a very, very virtuous cycle for them going, a very vicious cycle for kids going. Um. You write that you were surprised uh, by the extent to which federalism in education needed defending from Republicans in Washington. Explain. Well, um, there are there are many uh, friends and and fellows on our side of, uh, on the Republican side of the aisle who um, talk about uh, support of federalism. But then when it comes to a great idea they have about how uh, how we we should get involved in this facet of education, um, then federalism seems to go by the wayside. And I, I think. But I think, though, I have some level of optimism, again, that this last two years and how the system headed by the school unions has conducted itself is going to uh, begin to put resolve in their minds around limiting and and uh, and, and fending off these uh, efforts to continue to expand and overreach into states and local communities uh, rights and abilities and uh, this is you know this is not limited to the Department of Education or education as a subject area but it is a it is a constant temptation to overstep and it's been particularly so among uh, friends on our side of the aisle that uh, that see a way that they can they that they think education will be improved all of those things have proven to not work uh, over the years and it's very clear we need to get back to centering education around the family and parents ability to direct and control education for their kids I have to tell you I have something in the mercury vault that you will love I'll have to send you a picture of it um, uh, it is from Theodore Roosevelt's era, and it is a cloth banner with a bear on it, and the bear has a target, and it says, who can shoot the teddy bear? And he sent it out, you ready? He sent it out to schools all over America because he felt that shooting should be taught in schools. And there were plans in the 1950s how to change your cafeteria and make it into a shooting range 
to teach this. But in in Theodore Roosevelt's time, when they uh, when he sent this to schools, the people were outraged to show you how different we are and how far we have fallen. They weren't outraged at guns in school. They were outraged that the president would dare send them something to try to tell them what they should do in their local schools. And the pushback was, if we want to teach guns and have a target range in our schools, we'll decide the federal government has no business in our schools. That's remarkable. That is remarkable, and and frankly, that's a a, uh, a posture to which we should return, because we are failing millions of kids by continuing to insist they exist, and many of them are simply existing in a one-size-fits-all, top-down system that yeah. was uh, constructed for an industrial era that no longer exists in the same in the same way in our nation, and uh, and kids are being failed, and, and frankly, our country's future is being compromised as a result. Do Americans understand the uh, repercussions of what Biden has done uh, to change the definition of sex under Title IX? They have any well, clue? I think they're they are again beginning to wake up, and I think it becomes mostly it becomes clearer than ever when we see uh, biological males uh, competing and defeating women's uh, women swimmers. And I was a swimmer; I was not a great swimmer, but I was a good swimmer. But I think about all those early morning practices, and would I have even? Uh, pursued swimming if I knew that I was going to have to also compete with individuals who are biological males. I think I think common sense people are really awakening to uh, this threat to the uh, guarantee under Title IX that uh, all you know all individuals have opportunity to pursue uh, education and sports. And uh, this threat to women's sports is a very real, uh, very real threat. And it really is symbolic of the greater threat to, um, you know, to education opportunities. And I think I think people are awakening to it. So when we come back, we're going to talk to Betsy a little bit more about uh, the dismantling of the Department of Education uh, and also things that you can do um, to empower yourself, uh, empower your own local school and your children in a minute. The, part, the department supporting educators right now as they face this crisis? And what more should we be doing in this moment to protect educational equity? You know, there are many who want to win political points by creating division in education. Um, what I say to the folks on the call and educators across the country, let's remember who we serve. Let's remember Education Unites. Um, and let's control the narrative of what we're doing in our classroom to teach uh, the correct history and make sure all students feel welcomed in our school. This is remarkable. Betsy, and I don't know if that scares you as much as I do, because I don't know who they serve. Um, I, I don't know what their agenda is. They deny things that, you know, they're clearly teaching. And then it comes out that, oh, yeah, we are teaching that. Um, and to control the narrative, that's not a partnership with parents. 
No, absolutely not. And uh, like we talked about earlier, uh, the last two years have really laid bare the failings of the system and parents are upset for a variety of reasons and with good reason. And, uh, and they're beginning to speak up, whether it's at school board meetings or uh, changing school board members or running for state legislature, supporting state legislative candidates, uh, all, the way up the, uh, all the way up the chain in terms of elected officials who will ultimately make or change policy to support families and students versus a system. You know, Betsy, um, I, I'm, I'm so frustrated with the Republicans because when the Democrats have a second, apparently they're with think tanks of scholars and everybody else, uh, you know, behavioralists trying to figure out what all the levels, uh, the uh, levers of power are that they can change. We don't, I haven't even seen a, something from the Republicans like a contract for America. It's the easiest one to make right now. Give, give me five things you guys are going to do. We don't do it. Where is our side? Well, conservatives have to do a much better job of articulating what it is they're for. And top of the list right now, when you look at many different polls, is after, obviously, concerns about inflation and cost of living, but uh, right, you know, immediately thereafter is education. And this is uh, the first time in many, many years that education has been up at the top of the list. And uh, elected officials and those who are running for office had best pay attention. We've had uh, primary races in a number of states in the Midwest in the last few mm -hmm. weeks where uh, candidates who are supporting the notion of education freedom, where families decide where the resources spent on their child go for their child's education, has been a, a key issue. And candidates who are openly embracing that are winning. Okay, so let me let me go there because the Supreme Court uh, yesterday, what was it, uh, six to three, said it was unconstitutional for the state of Maine to discriminate against religious schools by denying students the use of state tuition assistance program, which makes total sense. Um, but this is a, a win. Does this help us move towards educational freedom? Absolutely, it does. It's another strike at the uh, awful Blaine amendments that today are in 37 different states. And what it says is the court is not going to tolerate uh, religious animus. And they have consistently said that in the last three cases that dealt with this issue more broadly. Uh, they've also said that in programs like the one in Maine where parents and families are making the decision, the government has no connection to that. And so it really strengthens the arguments that every state has to pass right. programs allowing for a lot more freedom for families. So I know that the Biden administration just put something in, and I don't remember which agency, but they're running things through the agencies now, not through Congress. Um, they put something in where charter schools are okay as long as the charter school gets the permission from the public school, which right. uh, they're competitors. Um, and, and the idea, I, I mean... I haven't sent my kids to uh, public school because I, ju I just don't like what they're teaching. But it galls me to death that I am paying for things that not that I'm not using, 
I've done that my whole life. I mean that I'm paying for something that I think is dangerous to our children and the future of our country. It galls me to death. I don't want I, I want a voucher system or whatever it is where that school that is failing, it's punished by lack of funds because yeah. they stink on ice. No, absolutely. And this is uh, this is, again, uh, an example of uh, how important uh, the federal level is. This is a, a proposed rule by the Biden administration to essentially shut down the expansion of charter schools. This should not be the purview of the federal government. And in fact, uh, right. this is one of the few programs that has actually been value added. But my argument goes back to the federal government shouldn't even be involved in these things, period. And where we are investing in education, we should be giving those funds directly to families to make the decisions for their children. They're going to demand the best for their children, and they're going to expect better than what they've been able to get by assigned schools. You've you've written that there's a problem with the voucher label when talking about school choice or educational freedom. Why and what is your definition of educational freedom? Well, a voucher is a mechanism for giving giving parents choices. Uh, I like to refer more broadly to the term educational choice, which uh, I, I use the metaphor of a backpack. Kids go to school with what they need in a backpack on a daily basis. We should metaphorically attach all of the funds that are already being spent for that child's education. And in the US, we spend on average $15,000 per child. A lot more in some places, less in other places. But let's metaphorically attach that money to that kid's backpack and let the parents decide. Is it to the assigned school in which where they're assigned? If that's working mm -hmm. for them, great. If it's to a faith-based school in their neighborhood and that's going to be a better location, great. If it's a, a customized, uh, you know, going uh, homeschooling for a part of the day and then going to a community college for some wow. higher level courses. Great. Every family should be able to make those decisions based on their children's needs. And the government, the federal government should be out of the way in that whole equation. So are you optimistic at this point that the Department of Education can be, well, I don't even want to say diminished, uh, destroyed <laughs> shut down I think there there is absolutely a way to do it. Like I said, we put forward a proposal that would essentially accomplish that. Another area that the department currently has responsibility for is the federal student aid. Uh, basically, one of the largest banks in the world, the federal government has no business being in the student lending business, and no. that's been evident since it was federalized in 2010, and the cost of higher education has absolutely skyrocketed. And the amount that students are taking out in student loans has to continued to escalate. I mean, these are areas the federal government cannot cannot do operate things like this well. Uh, they've demonstrated that regularly. And uh, this is an area that can be devolved back to the private sector exactly where it should be. So what are the practical things that if I'm watching this and I can't homeschool my kids um, and I just I, I just. I just want the madness to stop. What are some practical things I need to do? 
Well, the first thing is make sure you know who you are voting for and supporting for all levels of, uh, of government, starting at the local level, starting with your school board and going to your local legislators who are going to be voting on policy matters related to education. V support those who are going to support your freedom to make those choices for your children. And talk about it with friends and neighbors. Talk about how you're going to accomplish what you want for your child and and share ideas with your friends and neighbors. Perhaps there's a, a few of them that might like to start a school together. And it, maybe you can't contribute uh, your expertise or time, but you can contribute your, your child to uh, being a part of a, a small homeschool consortium. But the first of all, the policies around the money that's already supporting education, and we spend $750 billion a year on K-12 education alone in this country. The money that's already being spent needs to be given or designated to the families to be able to decide the best place for their kids to learn. When that happens, we're going to see the greatest creativity and entrepreneurship and ingenuity that the American people have long demonstrated, really orienting around different opportunities and learning experiences for kids across the country. I have one minute, so I want to ask you a question. Do you think, because it'll be probably one of these two, uh, DeSantis or Trump, do you think either of them would would really pursue this with all the vigor and get it done? Well, first of all, both of them, I obviously um, went to Washington because the president supported the notion of education choice, school freedom, right. education freedom. And uh, and clearly uh, DeSantis in Florida has continued to build on the great work of the governors before him and the legislatures before him. But uh, the reality is we need to be focused on 2022 and all of the races that are in the balance this year because significant yep. policy goals can be met if we elect the right people. Thank you so much, Betsy. God bless Thanks, you. Glenn. Betsy DeVos, former you. Secretary of Education. I will tell you that what she was saying about the elections is so critically important, especially the local elections. How is it the elections that are closest to us? We don't seem to know any of the players and don't we just kind of like, I don't know, that one sounds kind of good. We have to be informed and change that at the local level first. Back in a minute. So I know that we're not used to being involved and we're used to trusting our local people and our teachers. We can't do that anymore. It's almost I feel like a uh, I feel like a bartender that's turning on the lights and ringing the bell and saying, that's it, guys. We're closing the door. This is last call for our children's education. And you will come up against unions. You know what I mean? Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck. I represent the Department of Education. We could have been such friends, you and I. We could have been allies. But now I hear that you want to go up against me, that you want to go to the mattresses. This is not a smart move. We could have been such friends, but here we are in the month specially dedicated to our LGBTQ allies. 
And even though my wife is godmother to your cisgender heteronormative daughter, you're gonna do this to me. What did the education department ever do wrong to you? Sure, we teach a little critical race theory. Sure, we teach a little 1619 project. Sure, we kept your kids out of school during a lot of the pandemic. But you know what else we do? We teach things like math. Yeah, yeah, it's new math. And yeah, it has a lot to do with the whole critical race theory thing. But still, 